everybody. Welcome to episode 35 of the Masterclass. My name is Cam, and I am with the one and only David Hogue. Good evening. How's it going? Great. One and only. The one and only. I'm not sure about that. It's a high bar, Dave. I think you can Google there's a bunch. Yeah, there's a bunch of Cam Brennans, too. (laughs) Would you Google my name? You get, like, my website, my Twitter feed, and then a bunch of stuff about the TV show Bones. Really? Because I guess there's, like... (laughs) A Cam and a Brennan on the show. They're, I, I never watched it, but it's just kind of hmm. funny. Interesting. Yeah, so there you go. I saved you a Google search, guys, because <laughs> I know that people are Googling who I am. No, no one yeah. is. That's okay, though. So anyways, it's episode 35. We're here in our usual locale. And before we jump into our text for today, I kind of want to talk about something not so fun. Um, my, uh, my grandpa died yesterday, which is, you know, no fun, like I said. Um, but I wanted to spend a few minutes um, discussing um, death from a Christian perspective because um, I find the way that people react when they when I tell them my grandpa died to be very interesting. Um and I have a very I have a very strong and specific viewpoint on how we should handle death as Christians. Um but I wanted to talk about that with you Dave mm-hmm. for a little bit before we jumped in. You know, started off on a real light note and encourage people to keep on listening. <laughs> um so I guess I will share my viewpoint on death. Um, I think that death is just another thing that happens. Um, I, I don't really quite understand when Christians get, um, and I'm trying to be really sensitive here because I understand this is a, very personal and sensitive topic, but when, when you're at a funeral for someone who is a believer and the other, other believers in the room, why everyone is crying their eyeballs out. Yeah. Like the world has ended. And like, I, I understand, you know, missing the person, you're not going to get to, you know, do the things that you usually do, but I, I don't like when my dad told me that my grandpa died, my initial response was not to cry or to be filled with sorrow or grief. It was okay. Like this is part of life. It happens to everybody. Am I going to miss him? Of course I am. I was going home on Saturday to hang out with him, mm-hmm. but now I'm going home on Saturday for the funeral. Um, and so I just, I, I don't understand when, Christians act as if death is the final thing. And I feel like at a lot of times we do. And and I don't understand that. So I wanted to get your opinion on that. Am I crazy? Um am I am I totally like emotionally dead inside that I didn't cry when my grandpa died even though probably of all of my relatives outside of my mom and dad and my wife he's probably my favorite. And closest um i don't i um i guess to me there's i don't 
I agree with what you're saying because yes, I think too often we are way too attached to this life. And, you know, it's kind of the whole, um, you know, well, I don't need to go into that, but, um, <laughs> I don't even know where you're going. And I laughed. No, it's, it's, you know, let's say you, you, you spend your whole life saving, you know, for a trip to Europe and, you know, you're saving your money and you're saving your money. And, um, the night before you go on the trip, you decide, Hey, let's go stay at the cheap motel right next to the airport so that we can, you know, get up 30 minutes before our flight and be there right early. And you kind of decide, ah, let's just stay at this motel that we're staying at right next to the airport. Cause it's, you know, it's pretty cool. Instead of taking your actual lifelong dream trip to Europe. Uh, and so <laughs> they've got a mini bar, Dave, you know, so we're, we're basically, we're choosing the airport or we're choosing the, the hotel next to the airport, uh, instead of actually taking the lifelong dream of going to heaven because it is greater than anything we can imagine. Um, so I agree with that. Um, I just, I, I guess I'm kind of of the opinion that there's nothing wrong with mourning. I mean, I don't think. So I don't know necessarily what your, what perspective you're coming from in terms of people crying and that sort of thing. Because, I mean, well, like I feel, I personally feel like there's a difference between crying because you know you're mourning the loss. I don't even like the word loss. You're mourning the fact that the person you cared about is no longer on Earth. Mm-hmm. Versus you were crying because. Oh gosh, I had it now. <laughs> you're you're there's a difference between crying, mourning that the person you love is is no longer with you in in the, in the present physical versus crying from despair. Like those are two very different things to me. Yeah. Uh case in point when my um on my dad's side, my when when that grandpa died, um my grandma when we were um, at the cemetery, fell onto right. the casket and was just, could not even stand up. She okay, was yeah. weeping so... Now, granted, neither of them were Christians at the time. But it was the first time I've seen someone openly weep from pure despair. I'm never going to see this person. It's done. It's I'm, and the sound still haunts me. Mm -hmm. Um, One because it's my grandma and I care about her, and two Mm -hmm. because I never witnessed that before in my life. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I agree. There's a difference between mourning and and despair. But so often, um, when when Christians died the the funerals that I've been at the stories that I've you know heard um the the stories that have been related to me from friends who had parents or grandparents die is just this overarching idea that that death is 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 evil and it shouldn't happen and like especially if the person is taken too early you know they right. they die before we assume they should that that death is this evil thing that that shouldn't happen and I get it. Like God never wanted us to die in the first place, but at the same point, like Christ came, took care of that part. Like, 
So I, I'm trying. I'm trying to be sensitive to the fact that other people are more emotional than I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm an emotional guy, but it's more like excitement and anger as opposed to like <laughs> sadness and sorrow or glee or whatever. Um, but I'm just trying. Like I remember at my grandma's funeral last year, there was just all these people were crying, and I cried a little bit when, um, you know, we were walking her out of the the sanctuary. Um, or, you know, pushing her casket on the, on the thing, but just all these people just like weeping. And I'm just like, we're in a church guys. Like, like she, she's, she's where we all want to be. Why is everyone so sad? Like she got screwed. (laughs) She lived a great life. She traveled the world. She had a great family. She was cared for. She, and then she got to go be with Jesus. I don't understand why everyone's so sad. Like, Oh no, life is over. No, it's, it's it's really not. I I mean That's where I'm coming from. It's just like everyone's just like so inconsolable about something really 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 good happening. Right. And that's the disconnect for me. Yeah, I just well I just don't think most Christians, I don't think yeah, I just don't think we leave we live our life with an eternal perspective. Uh, because the reality is is my guess would be the life we live would be much much different if people did live with an eternal perspective and um, you know, I, I I think most people kind of even whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, that I I think a lot of people just live like hell isn't a real place, you know, that it's really not what it's described to be. And, you know, God's just going to change the, the plan when everybody gets there and you really aren't going to have to spend eternity in hell. And just kidding. I was trying to scare you straight. Yeah. And it's like, (laughs) no, I actually think it's going to be far worse than you can imagine. And so, and I think if people really believe, well, I'm going to say really believe that, but I just think we would, I would personally be much different if I truly believe that. And I think I, I mean, I'm ready to die. I mean, I'm kind of like, yeah, that's fine. Okay. I'd be sad for my family because I wouldn't want my kids to not have a dad, but um, I do not dread death. I, I dread the dying process if it's painful. Wouldn't, I'm not looking forward to that if it's a long drawn out mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm uncomfortable for a long time. But the actual getting to go to heaven, I, I mean, I feel like I spend enough time with God and seeking him that um, that's where I desire to be. That's my, my home. So I guess in that sense, I get what you're, what you're coming from. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm not trying to harp on people that are emotional. Like clearly I have room to grow in that area. Um, but I just, it, it has always been confusing to me to see Christians when, you know, they're in church on Sunday or life is going well, like, Oh, God's good. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And then when someone dies, everyone's like, Oh my, like, it just loses it. Yeah. Like one that didn't know was coming. And sometimes it's tragic. Yes. And, and the initial shock, you know, I'm thinking of a situation, you know, uh, from my youth group when I first started, that was completely tragic and shook the church to the core and was just very, 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 um, jarring. 
but even in that, that person was a believer. So even amidst the tragedy of the situation, he still went to heaven, right? So I just, I struggle with, um, yeah, I, yeah, I I'm with you. I, I, I agree. I don't, I, like, I don't I feel get, like, or even, even if the grieving process seems like it goes on longer than it should, you know, this kind of like, oh, but yeah, you don't know my situation. You don't understand what it's like to have experienced. Yeah, I what don't, but guess who and does? God does. He and does. But I guess, I, I guess in a sense. I just played the God card. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Oh, I'm so mad at myself. Oh, I just did that. Oh man. But yeah, I don't always understand. Maybe mine that I don't understand is a little bit different than yours in terms of not so much the in the moment when we're at the funeral and you're supposed to be doing it, but when it just seems like you kind of want to be like, okay, just get on <laughs> with life. Don't uh, dwell on it so much. So yeah. So I think this is an area where Dave and I would definitely like feedback because I genuinely want to know, like. From from someone else's perspective, what, what where am I wrong? Where am I right? Because I know that I don't have a full grasp on this. I'm I'm still young. I still have both my parents. I have my wife. I have both my sisters. Like, yeah, I've lost grandparents, but I've not had any good friends or any, you know, uh, nuclear family die. Um, and and I hate, even hate to say that because I love my grandpa. And I love my grandma. So what if you lost one of those people and you weren't sure of their eternal destination? Well, honestly, I, I don't know where my grandpa is. Mm-hmm. I, I have, this is one of those days where I'm like, man, once saved, always saved better be freaking true because, <laughs> you know, uh, my grandpa did not go to church. Mm-hmm. My grandma, you know, was a devout Catholic and would go, um, as frequently as her health would allow her towards the end of her life. Um, and you know, my grandpa's response to, uh, the preacher or the pastor at my parents' church was, he's really good. He just talks way too long. Like that was his critique (laughs) of the sermon. Um, and so I think, I think, yeah, my grandpa believed that God exists, but I, I personally don't know where, he stood with Jesus. And frankly, that was going to be a conversation I was going to try and have with him this weekend mm-hmm. when I went home. And I don't get to have that conversation now. Um, and I think my mom would say that he, at one point, you know, was a believer and might have always been, just never was a heavily practicing one as far as going to church and and that sort of stuff was concerned. So I don't know what that means, Mm -hmm. but ultimately I have to just, you know, it's God's decision regardless. Right. Um, would I love to see my grandpa in heaven? Of course I would. Right. Um, but I, I cannot speak for his, you know, um, conviction right so does that make it harder for me i think a little bit because i selfishly want to 
be with him again mm-hmm. and to, you know, do whatever it is in heaven that we would do. I don't think there'll be Michigan football games in heaven, so we can't watch that, <laughs> you know, but I'm sure we could enjoy each other's company and laugh and tell jokes and tell stories and whatever it is that we would be able to do. And I would very much like that. Yeah. But I also understand that God gives us the option to make a choice and that choice matters and God will do what is just and whether or not I like it or not, Mm -hmm. you know, and this even goes as far as, you know, I have, I have another family member that's a, that's an atheist. People have to make up their minds and would I love to see this person in eternity? Of course I would. Of course I would. But we have to make our own decisions and have to live with what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, because guess what? If we're wrong about this and we die, that's the end. You know, that's no. it. But if we're right about it, then there's this whole giant thing waiting for us. Right. So, I don't know. Did I answer your question? Sure. Sure. <laughs> I'll take that as a no. (laughs) So I don't know. I I hope I'm not coming across as like an emotionalist, like (laughs) rock, but like, no, cause I, I'm sure that when we're graveside and we're putting him in the ground, I will be emotional. Right. Because that'll be kind of like a final thing for me. Um, but you know, I, I just, I have to trust God that what is right will happen. And then I have to be okay with that. Yeah. And so anyways, enough talk about this. Sure. Let's move on to something a little more <laughs> lighthearted. Um, we, uh, last episode, this is our follow-up section this week. We, uh, we tried to predict the world series last week. Cause as we were, as we were recording last week, game two was getting played. And I remember specifically saying that I thought DeGrom was going to shut the Royals down. Lo and behold, that was not the case. That happened in game three. Uh, But we made predictions of who we thought was going to win the World Series and how many games it was going to go. Yes. Dave, correct me if I'm wrong, but you predicted the Royals in six. Yes. Okay. I uh, predicted the Royals in seven because I'm a dummy. (laughs) Uh, What actually happened, Dave? They won it in five. They got two wins in New York. Which is pretty impressive. It really is. So, today was the Kansas City Royals celebration parade in downtown Kansas City. Yes. Have you heard about... I have. 500,000 people. Oh, they're saying like 800,000. Well, that's not like they can count them. I know. But apparently, people were just parking their... The, the highway was so... um static and so backed out that people were just parking their cars on the shoulder for like three miles out and walking the three miles downtown on the highway because it was just an absolute nightmare of traffic. It's ridiculous. It's like, that's what, that's when you see like in the, the apocalyptic zombie movies, all the cars are parked on the highway. That's what, what it was like. I just, I think it's ridiculous. Yeah. And I think it further just, solidifies my opinion that we're idiots and we're completely lost in this country that we 
worship a sports team like that. We just want to be entertained. We, we canceled. They canceled school in like a ton of school districts. Yeah, we are in a suburb of Kansas City, uh, the I, last suburb before like Denver. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't that long ago that we were kind of that Gardner Kansas was, was kind of that way. So I, I don't know. Honestly, I thought it was ridiculous. Um, anyway, if you but went, congratulations yeah, to the Kansas City Royals. <laughs> congratulations to the Royals. Uh, if you went, I guess you and seven hundred ninety nine thousand other people could say you were there. So, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> but anyway, I I really I can't even Dave, begin how do you to really express feel? how ridiculous I think this is because I'm a baseball fan, and I you know yeah you got about 17 White Sox things yeah here. and I love the fact that White Sox won the World Series in 2005, but I can honestly say that I wouldn't have gone through that much effort for a parade or a rally and. I don't know. I think it's idol worship. <laughs> so anyway. on that note, yeah, let us move to the Bible. Sure. Dave, what's our passage this week, sir? Uh, we're continuing in Matthew 10 verses 23, 24 and 25. Right. So we, we were supposed to talk about verse 23 last week mm-hmm. and we, uh, well, we took the easy way, easy, easy way out. I can't talk. And we just moved to, Moved it to this week. So would you uh, read the passage for us sure. as we get ready to go? When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? All right. Out of context seems kind of cryptic, right? Sure. But in the context of chapter 10... Um, yes, he we're, was sending we're, out the disciples. Well, and it, or, Yeah, he's sending out the disciples, and he's warning them about the danger. Um, he, he, they're sheep among wolves. And then even after this, he gets into even more stuff about um, you know, family fighting family and, and it's, it's very, um, dire. Like mm-hmm. he's painting a very scary, not good picture of what's about to happen. Um, and so taking the chapter as a whole, it's kind of easier to get a, an overarching idea of, of what he's saying. Um, but we want to dive into the specifics here because I think there's a lot going on, especially around verse 23, which is very, um, contentious as far as the correct interpretation is concerned. Mm -hmm. Um, So I found two articles, um, one much more helpful than the other online, but I wanted to include both because not, not to throw the unhelpful one under the bus, but to serve as I think a help for what I would like to see from Christian bloggers and writers on the internet. Uh, if I, you know, I've got a microphone, so I'm going to share my opinion, Dave. <laughs> All right. So the first one is from a website called ChristianCourier.com. I don't know anything about it whatsoever. It was just high in the Google ranking. So I clicked on it. This is the unhelpful article. Um, we will have the link in the, in the show notes. Um, he, uh, the guy that wrote this, um, 
is the, the title is what is the meaning of Matthew 10 23? And it's a fairly decently long article. It's probably a thousand words long if I just had to guess off the top of my head. So not super long, but enough to share some in-depth stuff. And he gives different um, viewpoints uh, or different interpretations. And he offers a uh, thought on the liberal view, the catch-up concept. Uh, that would be catch-up, like catching up in a race, not what you put on your french fries concept, Dave. Mm-hmm. I know you're thinking about food over there. <laughs> the uh, preterist theory, the dispensational notion, the resurrection hypothesis, the kingdom supposition, the destruction of Jerusalem case, and then he... I'm scrolling down here. Bum-ba-ba-ba-bum. Oh my gosh. Then he offers his conclusion in like a paragraph. Um, so he his response to the liberal view, not shockingly, is is this. Uh, this view was most notably advocated by French missionary Albert Schweitzer, who contended that Jesus believed the end of time would take place in his day, and thus the apostles would not get their mission accomplished before he came. So a very literal reading of verse 23. Uh, he alleged that Christ was wrong in his prediction. The theory is based upon no substantial evidence, is an insult to the Son of God, and reflects a complete abandonment of respect for the inspiration of scriptures. It is rejected without further notice. You've been served, Albert Schweitzer. (laughs) Here's why I don't like this article. We'll get into it more. This is not helpful. No. This sort of response. You're going to sum up an entire group's viewpoint on something that is completely nuanced and different depending on the people you're talking to in four sentences. And then without explaining why it's bad, just saying it's bad, say that it's rejected without further notice as like, I don't even have to deal with you. You're so stupid, which is completely insulting to anybody that thinks that viewpoint and does not allow for further conversation. Right. This is like the Republicans and the Democrats in the Senate right now. Oh, you're a Democrat. You're an idiot. Or you're like, I just can't even talk to you because you think that way. It's not, it's not constructive to a theological conversation between two people that theoretically follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, I say theoretically because I don't know anything about Albert Schweitzer. But there are many Christians who have liberal viewpoints that love Jesus and follow Jesus. And we're going to be in heaven with them. Yeah, and, and I think... Um, it, th- there's an element here of uh, Jesus believed the end of time would take place in his day and thus the apostles would not get their mission accomplished before he came and I think what the perspective is on this view is is that you know uh, Jesus himself said no man knows you know, when it's going to happen, including the son of man. So to completely, and I'm not saying I agree with this viewpoint, but to completely reject it and to say that it is an insult to the son of God and reflects a complete abandonment of respect for the inspiration of scripture. Well, you know, Jesus himself basically said, I don't know the day or the hour. And so that is where Albert Schweitzer comes from on that standing is he's like, you know, Jesus just doesn't know. Um, Where it breaks down is um, Jesus would not make a definitive statement such as, 
so that's where it breaks down. So it's not, you know, and that's, I think what you're looking for is give me, because when he gets to his point later on, here's the five reasons why my theory is right. Well, you didn't, you didn't explain why theirs is wrong. You just said it was wrong. Yeah. So, so that, that's why it's not helpful. It's not that he's incorrect in saying that Albert Schweitzer was wrong. It's that he doesn't give him the time of day. And I'm also thinking Albert Schweitzer is probably smarter than this guy. <laughs> Still doesn't mean he's right. But all right. So the next, no, the next just, thing I want to jump down to is, anyway. yeah, no, I'm with you, is the dispensational notion, Dave. He calls it a notion, which is mocking anyways. Uh, the dispensational presupposition argues that Matthew 10, 23 relates to the end of time, particularly the so-called great tribulation and the second coming. Such a view completely divorces the passage from its immediate and localized context, such as the fact that this was an admonition to the apostles and not directed to a generation several millennia removed from the first century. Ultimately, this theory results from a theological structure that is absolutely void of scriptural support virtually from start to finish. So he's throwing anybody who's a dispensationalist under the bus, which... What is a dispensationalist? Uh, someone that thinks that uh, their, their biblical theology, and I'm going to paraphrase roughly here, and I'll have a better definition for you next week. A dispensationalist is someone who thinks that um, the, the story of Scripture and the way that God acts throughout uh, um, history is that he acts in certain dispensations which means there are certain decrees for this era, then certain decrees for this era, then certain decrees for this era. Um, so uh, I, can't, I can't off the top of my head remember what the, the general dispensations are, but there's like... Like the apostolic age. And, and like the time of uh, you know, the Jews in Egypt and right. post-New Testament. And, and like I said, I'll do more homework. I, should, I just ran out of time today. But again... Not completely unreasonable. No, there because are there's large, some very smart people and a very large amount of people who's who are dispensationalists. Now, it's not the um, the uh, most popular viewpoint. No, but there is a ton of scholarly work that has been done from the dispensationalist viewpoint. So to simply say that this theory results from a theological structure that is absolutely void of scriptural support is BS, frankly, because there wouldn't be that many people and that much work done in the dispensationalist area if there was zero scriptural support. Right. So and I agree. I, I, th there is nothing. Because to a certain degree, I think there is a valid of uh, different messages for different times. And if you just want to make it as simple as before Jesus and after Jesus, you know, there are different, the message is different. Well, yeah, it's, I get what you're saying. Um, I'm, I, it's way more nuanced. Right. And, but for, like I said, I finished work and we started recording 20 minutes later. So <laughs> I, I promise I will do more homework on dispensationalism next week that I can report back on. And uh, all that stuff. But, but you're, I agree with you. That is absolutely void of scriptural support. That's pretty harsh. Well, and, and so the reason I'm not, while it does seem like I'm throwing this guy under the bus, my, my point in sharing this sort of stuff is that this article is not helpful no. to the discussion and the edification of Christian people. No. All we're doing is further encouraging people to stay inside their denominational bunkers. 
yeah. whether it's you know Calvinist versus Arminian or Baptist versus Protest or uh, Presbyterian <laughs> or or even Catholic versus Protestant, right? Like we are all, all this is doing is further encouraging people to fall on their swords for what their denomination says without giving it further thought. Yeah. You know, and so you you go through a bunch of other ones and he gets to he gets to his um opinion which is that this is clearly about the sack of Jerusalem in AD 70. Um to the point where he concludes his conclusion is that uh, this is about a judgment, specifically the downfall of Jerusalem in AD 70. Um, I say is somewhat intriguing, but overstated. He closes this entire article with this. There is no question. The destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 is clearly the focus of this text. To which my response was, if this was so clear, then why did you have to write a thousand word article about it? I would agree. Because it's not that clear. And while he does make good supporting claims for why Jesus was speaking specifically about the destruction of Rome in AD 70, his argument to me is lacking because there's nothing in this con or in, in the context that specifically references that the, the parallel passage in Luke is a lot more convincing, but yes. the Matthew yeah, yeah, yeah. passage is not. And he makes the argument that when there are two passages that are parallel, the one that is more clear should be used to um, interpret the one that is more enigmatic. And I can get with that. So um, we will link to that article in the show notes so that you can read it in its full and maybe you'll have some follow-up for us. Um, but I want to keep moving on to the next article um, from gentlereformation.com, which I found to be quite an interesting name for a website. Um, I guess the tagline is speaking truth gently, which is a good thing. Um, but anyhow, I like this article way better simply because he's way more gracious in his thinking. Everything about this article is, Hey, these are my ideas. This is what I'm thinking. Let me know what you think back. Like it is conversational. The, the whole article is based off a conversation he had with his friend where he said one thing and then he thought about it for a few days, and then wrote his email back and said, you know what? I've changed my mind. This is what I think now. Let me know what you think. So from even just from a personal standpoint, this article is way more encouraging to conversation and constructive criticism and discussion than the previous article was. Even mm -hmm. if this guy may not be correct, just the way that it was delivered was so much more open-handed and engaging to other people that I included it because this is how we should be having conversations with people about Jesus and about the Bible and about theology. Mm -hmm. So uh, on top of that, his argument actually kind of makes a little sense to me. So he makes the point that we read this passage with the second coming of Jesus in mind because of when we live. I was going to say, that's, I think, our bias. But the second coming wasn't a thing yet. No. Jesus it hasn't even, not. he has not even yet alluded to the fact that he's going to die yet at all, let alone that he's going to come back from the dead. None of that has happened yet. This is still so super early in his ministry that there's not even been a single reference to his death and resurrection. And as far as the Jews were concerned, as this article points out, Jesus 
had come when they welcome him into Jerusalem later on with, you know, the chance of Hosanna, like this is it. He's here. We're taking over. The Romans are gone. Like this is it. The second coming isn't even a thing. Mm-hmm. And so when we read, oh, uh, in verse 23, where it says, um, you've gone through all the towns of Israel before the son of man comes immediately, we think, oh, Jesus is coming back to, you know, end the thing. And I don't think that's a correct reading of that passage. Now, the wording certainly leads us to think that way, but he's not addressing us specifically here. He's addressing a very specific group of apostles that he's sending out then to go do work then, the sheep among wolves then. And so um, I think that he makes a great point there. Um, And then also his inclusion of the Son of Man passage from Daniel fits incredibly well. And I'm going to find that really quick for you. All right, so it goes, it's Daniel 7. Verses 13 through 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, when the clouds of heaven, uh, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And he goes on to ask the question, how does this relate to Matthew 10? Um, and essentially when, what, what he says is that when, when he speaks of the son of man coming, he's referencing the old Testament idea that when the son of man comes, the kingdom of God comes with him. It is a inauguration of God's reign on earth, which the Jews were right about when, when the Messiah comes, God's kingdom start, but they didn't know is that throughout the entire New Testament, there's this um, now but not yet concept when it comes to eschatology. The kingdom has been initiated by Jesus' presence on the earth. When he dies and is buried and resurrected, the kingdom is confirmed, but it is not yet consummated finally. And so what he's saying is that this passage is not at all about what happens in AD 70. It is about the fact that before the disciples can reach all of Israel, the Son of Man will come and that he will be resurrected and the kingdom will come in its full. Because what's the gospel that Jesus and the disciples have been preaching the whole time? The kingdom of heaven is near. Yeah, repent, right? The kingdom of heaven is near. Exactly. And so what he's saying is when Jesus references the Son of Man to these Jewish apostles, he's bringing up all of what they know about the kingdom of God in the Old Testament, saying uh, the Ancient of Days is going to bring and give all nations and tongues over to the kingdom. Now, could he have made this easier and just said the kingdom of heaven will come before? Yeah, of course he could, but it's Jesus. Well, and I think in the other, I think in the Luke version of this, he does say the kingdom of heaven. But I could be wrong. There we go. So (laughs) I don't know which, where it is in Luke, but I think that's what he says. Yeah. So I think that you can certainly read this with the mentality that he's talking about the 8070 sack of Jerusalem and say, oh, you know, uh, husband will fight wife and son will fight father and wolves and sheep. And, and it makes sense because, yeah, the city's going to get burned. But I think the second article, which we will link to in the show notes, um, has a much more open um, concept to what is really going on here, especially within the context that, yeah, when a, when a new kingdom comes into town, mm-hmm. all of the stuff that is mentioned, the, you know, husbands against wives, sons against fathers, sheeps against wolves, was, is going to happen because there's a shift in power. 
And when there's, whenever there's a shift in power, there's always conflict. Right. And people always choose sides. And guess what? In the kingdom of God, sides have to be chosen. There is no middle ground. Switzerland does not exist there. Like you have to choose a side and it's going to tear families apart. Yeah. Um, so we will link to both of those in the show notes. We'd love for you to read them and um, to share your thoughts um, with us. Dave, I talked a whole lot there. What do you think? <laughs> Uh, I guess uh, um, that I'm I'm in in agreement with the uh, we're seeing a fulfillment of the prophecy in Daniel. Um, there is an element of you know before before Jesus came to Earth and during his earthly ministry, it is very much about the kingdom of God and Jesus submitting to God and His authority. And there's this element of when Jesus dies and is resurrected, the kingdom goes from God to him. I mean, and I'd really never thought about this, you know, God, three persons, they're all the same. So there's really, but I think there's a very significance in terms of the way we interpret Daniel that Jesus' role changes from before his time here on earth, his ministry here on earth, and then when he's resurrected to sit at the right hand of God. I think it there's uh, a literal, well, and I probably should have had Daniel 7 pulled up here in front of me, but <clears throat> there is this element of, of God, you know, um, the Ancient of Days giving the kingdom to the Son of Man. And so, um, yeah, it, it, and then I think we've even discussed this in the past too, of just God's timing is not our timing. And so, um, uh, I think there's an element here of, you know, Jesus telling his apostles that um, ultimately um, God's work is going to be done. And there's, and I think there's even kind of what we'll talk about this a little bit here in a second of just um, do what you need to do and then move on because God's plan is going to succeed and don't get hung up on you trying to make it happen, which I think is maybe something I need to hear a lot and that <laughs> it's not up to me to have it happen, that it's, it's up to God to have it happen. So I guess I'm in that camp of, um, yeah, we view, um, we're reading this particular scripture 2000 years after the fact. And so we have the lens of Jesus coming again. And then I think, again, as I've talked about, I think we have such a myopic view of Scripture that it's like, well, he must be talking about the time when we're living. You know, we're the most important people that have ever lived. So, um, you know, sorry. So, yeah, Dan I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement with the Daniel 7 and the fulfillment of Scripture and... Um, I think I found something very similar from Ligonier Ministries, which is R.C. Sproul, which who I'm currently reading. So, um, rambling on there, but it's okay. I'll cut you off. Thanks. <laughs> All right. So we've discussed this quite a bit in the context of Jesus Day, mm -hmm. and I think that's a very appropriate thing to do with this passage. That being said. What he says in verses uh, 24 and 25, I think, is still very 
uh, true Absolutely, of yes. Christians today. And for a refresher, it says, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? And so what I want to know is what can we as Christians expect from the world when we make it clear that we belong to Jesus? Because if the world is going to call Jesus Beelzebul or you know, stupid or not real or a crutch or, you know, whatever, how much more are they going to call us that? Mm -hmm. And I I think the point there is interesting because you're not going to talk to a master the way that you're going to talk to a slave, right? Right. So if they're going to call the master that to his face, what are they going to do to us who don't matter? Well, we're going to get it even worse if we're really doing what we're supposed to be doing. And that's, um, I think sometimes we, um, take the easy road because we don't like that. And so we choose to, um, well, we choose to take the easy road. We choose to not, um, be persecuted. We choose to not have a difficult life. We choose to, um, not by inconvenience, by sharing the gospel with others. Or again, back to our earlier conversation, if we lived life with an eternal perspective and the fact that we are going to die and that hell is a real place, um, I think we treat those conversations much, much, much differently uh, than we do. Um, You know, the other thing is I'm just learning that the outcomes are up to God. You know, it's it's really not my job to convince somebody that Jesus is who he said he was and that, you know, their eternal salvation, their eternal destiny, his reliance on their relationship with him. I just need to be willing to speak the truth when those moments come up and allow the Holy Spirit to do his job. And I think we put um, put way too much expectation on ourselves when it comes to those kinds of things. And as we've mentioned before, it's kind of silly when you think about the persecution that you talk about in this world compared to the pers- in America, 21st century America, versus the persecution that occurs in other places around the world if you were to proclaim the gospel. Yeah, no So joke. you think we would be doing it. <laughs> well, y- yes. But I also think there's this... Um, notion that, well, why do we need to do it? I mean, we're not being persecuted. So like we're being called idiots in college classrooms, mm-hmm. but that's not really that big of a deal, right? No, no. you know, and so there's not like, like there's not this um, line in the sand. You know what I mean? It's more like the tide, like it just kind of ebbs and flows, like what we can say and what we can't say before we're like, close-minded or emotionally crippled because we have to have a God to lie on. And it kind of, you know, depending on what part of the country you live in and the, 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 you know, um, cultural climate, that line changes. Whereas in over, you know, say like where ISIS is active, there's a pretty distinct line in the sand. Either you're a Christian or you're not. And if you're a Christian, well, guess what? We're probably going to come kill you. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that, that gray area is really where America loves to live. 
and it and it really kind of I think lessens for some reason lessens our conviction where we can just we live in a place where it's okay to just kind of be like meh. I mean, if you think about it, how many how many TV channels come on cable? Like a couple hundred. Two, yeah, <laughs> like we we live in a place where. You just don't do anything. I mean, now there are plenty of people that go do stuff and there are the people that are like, oh man, I wish I could do that, but we don't ever do it. Right. And so I just think part of that, not wanting to have those conversations or not wanting to, um, not wanting to, uh, not actually, um, living the way the Bible calls us to is because we live in a culture that is totally acceptable of just, eh. I mean, whatever, get to it when you want to. And, and, and that's, that's also the church. That's not just, I mean, America, that's the church in America for the mm. most part. There are plenty of great churches out there that, that don't do that, but the majority of Christians don't go to those types of churches. No. You know? That's why, you know, we've had, what, the stories of, of mainline denominations just kind of like using the Bible when they want to and then where they disagree with it. They're like, yeah, we're just not going to talk about it or we're going to ignore it. Yeah. Which is insane. Yeah. So I just, I, I feel like the lack of conviction is just a result of our culture. That's just whatever feels good, man. Whatever, whatever, you know, you do, you all do me and we'll just be good. Yeah. Which is stupid. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me. And granted, I'm a sinner and I'm lazy. And I like watching TV, you know, and I like generally not exerting a whole lot of effort. But I want to be the type of person that does not let my culture define my eternity. Yeah. And that's a really hard thing to juggle. And to get straight. So. Yeah. I, um, I don't know. Our culture is messed up in so many ways. Because I think sometimes, too, we have a this mentality of being busy is a good thing, too. And that, um, I don't know, TV is okay, but probably should spend more time um spending time seeking God and decompressing that way. Um, I, I'm absolutely appalled and I don't mean to totally get on this tangent, but like I'm absolutely appalled at the uh, latest Joel Osteen book. It's called the power of I am. It was released like three weeks ago or a Is month he talking ago about God or you No, he's talking about us. So if you're so desiring, when Moses asked God who, what his name is, his basically his answer is I am. And so I am is, which is like <laughs> the best answer. Yeah. Who are you? Uh, I am like just yes. concrete, like from eternity. Like I just, I'm here and I'm and, the only one that can say that. And my understanding is this new book is about if I just use, I am statements, uh, well, not just if I use them, but whatever my I am statements are is what I am. So if I say I am 
gay. Yeah, then I am gay. If I say I am lazy, then I'm lazy. But if I say I'm a love child of God that deserves to have a six-figure income, and then that's what I am. Do I have a curse button? <laughs> so When did Christianity become self-help? I don't know. Oh, that's funny. Here's another guy saying... Real-time follow-up here. Dave's reading the internet. <laughs> I'm David Allen, the editor of The Power of I Am. My own book, not Joel's. I am and have been aware of the power of I am for several years now and applied it steadily in my own life. Uh, people, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God. So anyway, don't read Joel Osteen's book. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, All right. And I've never read it. So actually somehow strangely attached to that was our last question for this episode, know. Dave. Actually, believe it or not, I was somewhat on topic. Well, I don't know. Go ahead. Uh, how can we encourage one another in the midst of the struggles that we just talked about? Mis right. Misleading books that are trying to um, make your life about you and not God and also at the same time the struggles of a culture that just kind of encourages you to be mediocre and everything um and not really how can we besides sitting here and saying don't read Joel Osteen's book <laughs> and don't be lazy like what can we how can we encourage one another as Christians to live the life that God has called us to as generic as that can be um you know i Definitely don't think we can do that by ourselves. And it's not what you look up on the internet. It's not the books you read. It's not. You definitely need to be around other Christians. Um, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. So I think it's Proverbs eleven twenty seven, but not hundred percent on that. Um I think I think community is essential and I think healthy community uh is the key part of that. And it's like, well, what, what, how do I find, um, how do I find that community? And I think it's that element of, uh, being humble and seeking God first, uh, versus seeking yourself first. And, um, all of us, and I include myself in this need to learn how to, um, have an outward focus instead of an inward focus. Now there's nothing wrong with being self-aware and introspective because I think that's healthy as well. Um, but. Well, but taken to the extreme, that's just as bad as being self-centered and, you know, full of hubris. Mm -hmm. They're just yes. opposite ends of the same. They're, they're that tension of being in the middle of those things. Yeah. And I, I remembered you answer asking a question earlier on of how do we know what we worship? And, um, my answer was, you know, what do you think about when you go to bed and, you know, um, what uh, my question, I guess would be is what is your prayer life? Like, are you constantly praying about yourself? Oh God, my job. Oh God, you know, this, and, you know, and you're constantly focused on yourself and what you want God to do for you. That's probably not a healthy place to be. And, um, I'm, 
certainly still learning this and trying to figure it out myself, but our prayer life really needs to be about um, God being glorified, and our prayer life needs to be focused on others and their needs, uh, because ultimately you're going to, you know, Christian hedonism at its best. You're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna feel your best when you're focused on God and others versus when you're focused on yourself. So, um, you know, if you want to experience what you were designed to experience, it's an outward focus instead of an inward focus. Um. So yeah, I th- I think those are kind of the the main things. Um, I got a letter from my daughter here this recently. And I, you know, she's at, uh, well, she's at Link Year, which is a can of cook deal. And it's a gap year program for uh, kind of between high school and college and to get a foundation in you. And she'd sent me a note. Well, she sent the family a note and she concluded her note with, how can I pray for you? And there was just a realization for me of, I don't think she had ever asked me that question before. And I just was so encouraged to hear her saying, how can I pray for you? Because it means to me, that is an indication that she's headed in the right direction. And then I forgot about it for three days and I was literally on my way to work this morning. And I was like, oh, she, that, I need to encourage this behavior. So I was like, <laughs> I need to respond to her. So I shot her a real quick text and just said, uh, I appreciated your letter. Here's how you can pray for me. And one of the things I did ask her to pray for was the podcast. So, but. Anyway, outward focus and then inward focus. That's going to sum up my answer. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I would uh, I would add to that. Um, how we can encourage one another is to actually give a crap. Mm, yeah. I mean, first of all, about your own well-being, and then secondarily, about the well-being of the people you go to church with, that you live next to, that your kids go to school with. Like, there, there needs to be a countercultural amount of ownership that you have with what you do with your time. What, and I'm preaching to myself here. That's why I'm getting amped because all I want to do when I go home is drink a beer and watch soccer and just veg. Cause like I'm emotionally distraught. I'm tired. I've got a long couple days ahead of me. I don't want to deal with crap at work tomorrow. Like all I want for me is to just go medicate my, you know, selfishness. But if if i want to not be taken over by the world around me and if i want to follow christ and i want to be with god the way that god has laid it out then y- you have to give a crap like mm-hmm. he, it's it is a gift in the fact that god has saved us from sure doom yeah but it is not a gift in the fact that we can sit and get fat off of God and not do anything to enjoy that relationship. There is work that needs to be done. Like you said, how can I pray for other people? How can I be engaged with other people? How can I serve other people? And in that doing for other people, we are changed to the kind of person we want to be, but we have to be willing to get up and do it. Yes. And so one of the ways that we can encourage each other is to say, Hey, 
let's go do this together. Let's go serve here. Let's go um, treat this person well, like in teams, like you said, in community. And, and one of the ways that you find that type of community is to put yourself out there mm-hmm. and to go look for it. Yeah, and when it doesn't, do it. when it doesn't work out, guess what? Keep on looking for it. You can find it. Mm-hmm. But there is, I mean, the, Jesus sent the disciples out two by two, not by themselves. Right. We are not right. in this alone. Yes. You know, in Hebrews, it says that, that we have a great high priest in Christ who has seen and done and witnessed everything that we have and yet has done it without sin. So let us draw near together and approach the throne of mercy in time of need. We are not in this together. God came in the form of Jesus for a reason. He built the community of the disciples as an example, and he sent them out two by two to be together to reach the people. I just, that we have to kick each other in the butt and Pick us up, pick each other up when we fall, and don't become the the lazy cloister of people that just talk the Bible at each other and forget about the rest of the world. Right. <sighs> yeah, and you know, I I think all of us have um, oh at least one point in our lives had a crush on somebody, probably more than once, but um if you think about those times when you have liked somebody and you've wanted it to go to that next level and how you behave that way where you're like, I mean, you, you, you'll do almost anything to impress them to show them how much you, and all that kind of stuff. I, I think there's a real, we need to learn how to do that with Jesus. You know, we should be so in love with him and kind of think of that, you know, and I get love is, more than just that Love feeling. Love a verb, Dave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's, it's a, you might have to play that. Uh, <laughs> um, but just think about that. When you've, when you've desired to, to, ha- to take a relationship with another person to that next level and the amount of effort that you would put into that, um, look at Jesus and do the same thing. Look at God, the Holy Spirit, say, I so want to take our relationship to the next level that I'm going to do whatever I can um, to make you happy and do that. So that's kind of a, like you said, I'm, I'm talking to myself right now. <laughs> so. All right. Well, I think that brings us to the end. It flies by. It's going to be a long one, I think. Is it? (laughs) Yeah, I think it will be. All All right. right. (laughs) Well, thank you guys and ladies for listening. We really do appreciate it. Um, We talked about a few touchy things here, so we want to hear your feedback. Um, Whether you agree or disagree or think we're totally stupid or you think we were uh, honest in the representation of our feeling, whatever it is that you want to... conversate with us about we want to be open-handed and engaging in that we really really do um so to do that you can uh get us on twitter at masterclass fm you can get dave at 108 hbo where eight is the only number and you can get me at cam brennan uh also if you've got more to say than a tweet will handle you can email us masterclassfm at gmail.com <sighs> 
you can get the show notes, which will have links to the articles we talked about and that awesome DC Talk song will be at the very bottom, uh, along with all the the um, scripture references that we had and any, any other stuff that I, you know, dig up while uh, editing this episode, I will add to that list. You can get that at masterclassfm.com slash masterclass slash 35. Dave, any last thoughts? Uh, just may the Lord bless you and keep you. So. All right. Goodbye. Bye.